How's it going, everyone? Welcome to episode 90 of Fear Frequency. So, last week, George, the episode never showed up on Spotify for most people, it seems. Which is good, because we were both, like, sitting there, like, why, why the fuck is the, <laughs> the numbers down a little bit? To be fair, they weren't down that much. I think because most of our audience is on Apple Podcasts. But still, it was, like, noticeable. So then, uh, our trusted friend, Etrept, a.k.a. Ethan Trivet. Uh, he told us it wasn't on Spotify. So I just like recorded a little intro for it and re-uploaded it as episode 89.5. Hopefully that populates in the Spotify feed. Uh, but yeah, if you missed last week's episode and you're like, why the fuck did they take a week off when they said they weren't doing that anymore? <laughs> we didn't. We didn't take a week off. We just, we, it, Spotify or Anchor or something screwed up. I don't know why. Also, this episode is a day late because... We, uh, we've been playing The Last of Us 2, and we wanted to finish the game, both of us, before we recorded an episode. So I'm recording this on Thursday, and I'm posting it on Thursday. That that's that should be all the housekeeping, right? Yeah, I think that, that covers it. We have a couple news stories to get into before we talk about The Last of Us. I'm assuming we'll have a very long discussion about that game because it's amazing. The first news story, George, is pretty cool. Uh, Evil Dead Now, which we talked about two weeks ago i want to say it's actually called evil dead rise and the reason that's interesting is because at the time when it was called evil dead now i had a very trusted source reach out to me and say that uh, they were confident it was going to be set in an office building or a sky rise and it wasn't going to take place in a cabin in the woods and so bruce campbell does an interview yesterday where he says, yeah, it's not going to take place in a cabin in the woods. And the title is Evil Dead Rise. So that just like confirmed any doubt I had <laughs> when that guy had told me that. So I was like, hey, can I do a video on this? And the person was like, yeah, it's totally fine. So I got to get my first exclusive on YouTube, uh, which is really fun. But that's the update on Evil Dead. What, what do you think about this new setting? Uh, It's weird. I mean, I don't love it. I think we've kind of seen these ultra-violent office movies. There was kind of a boom a couple of years ago between like Belko Experiment, Mayhem, uh, Office Uprising. I, I feel like we've seen a lot of that recently, so I don't know how well the Evil Dead series will translate to an office building, but uh, I'll remain optimistic until we see some, you know, a trailer or something like that. My first reaction to it, my gut reaction, I guess, is that... They're trying to do it on a cheaper budget, which I dislike vehemently. It's one of the best reasons that Evil Dead 2013 worked out so well is because it was a higher budget horror movie than what we're seeing right now. And they put all of that money into practical effects, which is something that Evil Dead's always been known for. So I don't really love the idea of it being set in an office building. I do like, however, that it's in a different setting because we've had what, like four, three movies? No, four movies and a full-on three-season TV show. And the vast majority of what we've seen so far has taken place in the middle of the woods. So it's it's a, it'll be a nice change of pace, you know? Yeah, I mean, definitely change of scenery would probably do, do good for freshening up the franchise a bit. Uh, I just don't know if office building is the right change of scenery yeah someone made a great point on the video i posted in the comments um so they're doing a female protagonist in this new evil dead which 
is cool. That's fine because Mia's a great character. Ash's daughter Brandy is a great character. Kelly's a great character. But they made a great point that it's been a long time since we've had a male protagonist in Evil Dead in the movies because we had Ash in the first three, but then we had Mia, and then we got Kelly, and then we got Brandy, who is who were became main characters in the show. And the last reboot they did was featuring a female character. I honestly kind of wish they had someone come in and play Ash for this one. Like a younger Ash again, you know, or something, a guy character. It's weird that this is becoming like a female driven series for really no apparent reason. I mean, I don't really have strong views on that either way. I think it'd be really hard to replace Ash as the main character because Bruce Campbell's such a personality. That's probably what they're trying to avoid is putting someone else in there and then he's just not as affable as Ash. So I'd assume that's kind of what they're trying to avoid, but. I mean, Mia also had pretty big shoes to fill, in my opinion, so I don't know if, if another female lead, you know, will be as good as her in the, the remake. Right, and Ash's daughter was a great character, and Kelly were, was a great character. It's weird that we've had such a cluster of all of these, like, female leads. It's it's just, like, kind of a weird shift that they're taking, but I think you're onto something with why, because they don't feel like they can replace Ash. And that kind of makes sense because Shiloh Fernandez's character in Evil Dead 2013, Mia's brother, was sort of supposed to be this like, oh, is that the new Ash? Oh, is that the new Ash kind of guy? And they even brought it to the point where he had the, the cabin or the shed scene. And then the, it would turn out to be a misdirect. And I think that was smart because a lot of people were saying that they didn't think he was a good replacement for Ash. I mean, if they are taking it in the direction of like almost an anthology type series where this one's an office building, the next one is you know, wherever, new new setting, completely new scenario. They could, you know, change the leads pretty fluidly without any issue. This movie sounds like it's going to be very easily comparable to Mayhem because that's a movie where a virus takes over an office building and it gets, like, locked up. So it's Steven Yoon and Samara Weaving, who both have the virus, but they have, like, good goals to accomplish while they're in the building. It seems like... Instead of office workers running around trying to kill each other, it's going to be this new main character facing off against deadites. So I hope that they can differentiate a little bit from what we've already seen. Yeah, I mean, between that and, you know, hopefully they get the practical effects right. Hopefully there's some cool, you know, weird scenes that the franchise is known for. Um, but you know, that's really all we can all I can hope at this point. Yeah, the Evil Dead fan base is really confusing to me because They'll whine and complain constantly about if it doesn't have Ash, I won't see it. But then when Ash came back for the show, nobody turned up to watch it. That show was supposed to have like a five season arc. And all of these fans who were begging for Ash to come back for years, like where the fuck were they? They didn't watch the show. It all showed up on Netflix after it ended. And that's when people watch it. It's like, that's not going to get you a new season of a TV show. So it's like, you had a chance to bring back Ash, and I guarantee you that show would have culminated in a new movie featuring Ash if people actually watched it, because that would have made him marketable again. But if Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell are just sitting there like, how do we make Evil Dead marketable to distributors? They're not going to be like, yeah, we're going to use the same character who came off of Army of Darkness, which tanked, and made a show called Ash vs. Evil Dead with him as the title character again and then it once again tanked. But we think we should try again with the movie. A distributor would laugh them out of the office. I mean, I think when it came out, it was like one of the highest pirated shows. So people watched it. They just stole it. 
And so, I mean, much like, you know, kind of leads into this whole, like, releasing major motion pictures on VOD currently instead of theaters, you know, if companies don't want to release things that are just going to get stolen and they don't make any money off of. So, like, regardless, at the end of the day, it wasn't profitable, so that's not what they're going to go with going forward. Right. With a TV show, you might pirate a few episodes, but that gets, like, the convenience factor is nice of being able to just torrent stuff, but... There's always problems that pop up, like it doesn't have enough seeds, or the recording is bad, or it has to. The person who's screen capping the episode has to like buffer it. There are major drawbacks, and I feel like when you have an X episode TV show, eventually people get sick of torrenting it, and then they eventually watch it. But when you have a movie like Halloween Kills, which people are so convinced is going to skip theaters, which is insane to me, that will never be on VOD only because it'll be so pirated out the ass that no one will go see it in theaters or rent it because that's exactly what happened with Hostel 2. The movie leaked online and it made dick (laughs) (laughs) because it leaked online before it came out. And that movie was like a massive uh, commercial failure despite the fact that it got pretty good reviews. It's the, the evidence is there and people like, People come at me like I just shot their dog and laughed when all I'm saying is here's the evidence that we have. Here's a bunch of good reasons that Universal would have not to release it on VOD this October when they could just punt it back a year and be totally fine. And people are like, why do you want it to be (laughs) delayed? I'm like, I don't want it to be delayed. I'm trying to help you think like a fucking distributor who's going to make all the money. And people are coming at Jason Blum, like, why haven't you released a trailer yet? He's not the one who's calling the shots. Universal is. Like, his hands are tied. I mean, he can say whatever he wants, but really, at the end of the day, Universal's going to do what they feel will make them the most money. It's just insane to me that people think that Universal's going to take a movie that has the potential to make a quarter of a billion dollars or more and just throw it up for 20 bucks on VOD. That is not going to happen. They also haven't filmed Halloween Ends yet. And a lot of movies are going to start shooting around August, which is when um, Halloween Kills started filming. So theoretically, Halloween Ends could still film this year and release next year. But there's a huge, massive second wave of coronavirus happening right now to the point where New York's about to shut down again. And theaters are reconsidering opening. And Disneyland was supposed to open July 17th, and they're not anymore. So... I don't know if Halloween ends is even going to start filming this August. Like the lo- the most logical option Universal has is to just wait a year. People are going to show up for Halloween kills if it comes out in 2021 and they're going to show up for Halloween ends in 2022. Yeah. I mean, it, it would make the most sense for them to just push it back as opposed to VOD, especially since none of their other huge blockbusters have been released on VOD um, I mean, they said trolls made them like more than they expected, but I don't think they really had high hopes for that in the first place. So Universal's whole point was we expected Trolls World Tour to bomb because the first movie bombed. And then when we released it on VOD, it made a profit of like $70 million, which is good. But what people aren't getting is if Halloween ends or Halloween kills, which is a $20 million movie, makes $70 million. That's a profit. But 
if it makes $70 million, you're not even going to see Halloween ends because Universal will punt the shit out of that license straight back to Miramax and Trancast. They'll be like, we're not fucking making these movies to pull in $70 million when we just made a quarter of a billion, you know? Right. If they have a, if they see a $200 million drop-off in return in the sequel, they're not going to make a third one. They don't give a shit because there were plans already in works to make a third Rob Zombie movie, and when that was profitable by like a million dollars they were like well cancel cancel that (laughs) we're gonna start over but i did hear something really interesting that i haven't talked about uh on my channel yet so if you're a fan of the channel this is like something you'll hear here first i was talking to my friend brad from bloody disgusting and i guess miramax uh, the the way that dimension lost the rights to halloween was that miramax who owns it alongside trancast which is malika cod's company uh they knew that the rights were going to expire if the Weinsteins, who owned Dimension at the time, didn't make a movie. But they just didn't say anything. and <laughs> They were just hoping they would, like, lapse on it and lose the license. Yeah, they did. They just didn't realize that, they, like, they didn't know. The Weinsteins didn't know they were about to lose the license. So then they just lost it. And then Miramax was like, thanks. And they <laughs> went over to Universal, the Blumhouse. And they were like, hey, what's up, dude? You want to make a movie? And that's how that happened. Because the right situations for all these different movies are really weird right now, thanks to uh, Victor Miller. He, I guess nobody knew about that law, where after 35 years, you can regain the rights to something if you write it, mm-hmm. like as a screenwriter. You can regain the rights to one of your screenplays and then renegotiate for better terms. Uh, no one knew about that until Victor Miller did it. So that's why you're seeing Clive Barker trying to take back Hellraiser and why Wes Craven's estate took back Scream and uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. It's it's because they're all finding out that they're able to do that. Another option that people have been saying that I actually really would prefer is that they release it in theaters and then two weeks later they put it on VOD because, as we all know, most movies make the most of their money in the first two weeks in theaters but there's like a long-standing contract between NATO, which is the National Association of Theater Owners, and uh, the distributors, which says they have to wait two to three months um, after they release. So I feel like that would be a legal thing that would take a lot longer than Universal's just just deciding, yeah, we're going to start releasing our theatrical movies sooner on VOD. You know, like there'd be a lot of legal stuff involved there. Yeah, that and in the current climate. I feel like even if you did release it in theaters, your box office return would be way stunted. We'll, we'll get off of this in a sec, but the best examples here for y'all to pay attention to out there is The Purge 5. So I was always under the impression that The Purge was an expensive movie for Universal, like higher cost than something like Us or Halloween, but it's actually much cheaper. Uh, the first Purge, which came out last summer, I think, or two summers ago, that cost... 13 million dollars and that's the fifth movie in the franchise yeah fairly fairly low budget yeah and they consistently pull in a lot of money um they're very profitable movies and that got delayed there was a purge movie supposed to be out this july and they pushed it back indefinitely i think they said sometime around the same time next year it'll come out so that's a movie that's directly comparable to halloween and it's also distributed by universal also produced by blumhouse So I would guess that Halloween based on that will be delayed. I feel like that's the option Universal is looking at. It's just, it's the safest thing they can do right now. And uh, I guess we'll just see, (laughs) but that's most likely what's going to happen. Oh, and if you guys want proof of uh, Universal canceling the entire franchise, 
uh, that they are bought into right now, if it's only profitable by like $50 million, just look at Happy Death Day versus Happy Death Day to you. Because Happy Death Day made an insane amount of money. Like, I think it's something like $150 million if off the top of my head. And then Happy Death Day to you was profitable by like $60 million. And Universal was like, well, we're not making the third movie that was set up in the second one. So that's a literally one-to-one identical situation that they have with Halloween. So that is all we have to talk about of Evil Dead Rise, George. <laughs> got, got a little off topic. That was my fault. No, it's important because it's all related. Because these are all big franchises that are in a weird spot because of the virus, you know? Yeah. And people love when we talk about Halloween. So it's not it's not all bad. <laughs> so the next news story here, we only have two this week. Unsolved Mysteries is back. We definitely talked about this when it was announced on the podcast. I remember it distinctly. Netflix announced that they have six episodes done and they're going to be up next Wednesday, July 1st. Um smartly they aren't going to have a host because robert stacks was too perfect and it seems like this six episode mix is going to be good and the theme song that they kind of remixed for the modern version is so cool did you watch the trailer yeah i watched it um earlier today it, it does look really good i'm i'm excited to watch this as a, a fan of the original series okay so you've watched unsolved mysteries like you're a fan like I, i've caught like a, a couple episodes like i like it i wouldn't say i'm like an expert in it but what i've seen i like i love it i used to watch it all the time when we were at um the chemical company because <laughs> it's on the whole show's on youtube yeah uh, the people who owned it film rise just uploaded it to the unsolved mysteries channel and there's like hundreds of episodes it's so good but this new one looks like it got a massive, massive bu- uh, budget increase from the old show. Like, this is filmed like a like a Netflix original. Some of the dramatizations. Like, I don't know. I feel like we're losing a little bit of the cheesy charm. But from what we saw in the trailer, I'm actually excited. So the first episode is called Mystery on the Rooftop. And it's like a murder mystery uh, about a lady who jumps off a hotel roof, which is unexplained still, I guess. Then there's one called 13 Minutes where someone mysteriously vanished from her Georgia hair salon in broad daylight. Interesting. (laughs) During a 13-minute time frame? What the fuck? That's crazy. They haven't found her, obviously. She didn't reappear. Uh, House of Terror is from 2011. French police discovered the wife and four children of Count Xavier Dupont de Leon buried under the back porch of their home in Nantes. That's a lot of fake words. Uh, that that one doesn't sound good. I'm not going to read the rest of it. No Ride Home. Um, Alonzo Brooks, 23, never returned home from a party he attended with friends in Kansas. And uh, he was not white. And the town in Kansas is predominantly white. So do the math on what happened to him. And Berkshire's UFO. Uh, I'm not going to read that one because it's a UFO episode and we know that's going to be good. (laughs) And then there's a one called Missing Witness. So it seems like a solid mix of different stuff. I'm glad they got a UFO episode in there. Yeah, it's cool we get, you know, not only the like murder mystery, but we get some of the extra weirdness with the UFO one. And the lady who disappeared within a 13 minute time frame is probably also going to be fairly (laughs) extraterrestrial related, I would assume. Where'd she go? Where'd she go? 13 minutes. Lost time. Think about it. I hope we find out. (laughs) (laughs) So the cool thing about Unsolved Mysteries was that um, people could like call in and help them solve the mysteries. And then if they were solved or they had updates, they would do updates on later episodes. And because of the way this show is being made, I feel like that's still the intention. 
Like if any of these mysteries do happen to be solved in the next batch of six episodes, I bet they'll update. Yeah, I mean, I could I could see them doing like even if they don't want to do a secondary whole season of ones that have been solved, if they do something like what they did with uh, Stranger Things, where they had the producers um, and the guy who played the dean in Community sit down and like do like the talking version of each episode, they could do like informal updates like that even yeah and the weird thing is this is from the producers of stranger things man if i was a producer on stranger things i'd be doing this too but those guys are getting a lot of mileage out of from the producers yeah. of stranger <laughs> things because they were uh on child's play and i think uh the prodigy were they really they're, they're just like put it yeah they were definitely on child's play it was from one of the producers of Stranger Things. I remember they were really pushing that hard. Two bad movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> until it turned out that movie was hot dog shit. So I'm excited for Unsolved Mysteries, though. That's all the news we have this week. Let's get into The Last of Us Part 2. So safe to say, George, we both love this game. Yeah, a surprisingly controversial opinion that naughty dog made a really good sequel to an excellent game yeah like what it's so dumb so for those of you who don't know i don't know how you couldn't know this game had some major plot points leak before it came out because back when uncharted 4 i think is around the time frame was being worked on this game was already like well in development and they had full cutscenes on their server and just naughty dog in general got hacked into so this person who hacked them has had this footage for a very long time and they were just sitting on it and then they decided to release it at a very bad moment in time when the game was finished and got delayed because of the virus and if they had just released it then this leak would have never happened but the first i will say the first hour or so this game i wasn't exactly into it because some asshole left a lot of the leaks on my youtube channel and i read them and then they were kind of confirmed in the first hour but then after that, all of the ones I didn't like were just fake. So then I ended up turning around. I loved the game. It was awesome. Yeah, I uh, stayed away from the leaks. I stayed away from basically everything, any trailers, anything as much as possible. I think I saw like one of the f- very early uh, gameplay trailers at maybe E3 or something a couple years ago. But basically, other than that, I went completely radio silent. So I had no uh, knowledge prior to me playing of the leaks. I knew they existed, but I didn't, like, put them in my mind when I was playing. Okay, so this is going to be a huge, full-of-spoilers discussion, obviously, because it's the whole back half of the show. So if you haven't beat the game or you don't want to know any plot points, I would pause it, beat the game, come back next week. Or if you're on Spotify, better yet, go listen to last week's episode (laughs) because I just checked and it's actually up now. So, uh, yeah, we're going to spoil the shit out of this game in 5, 4, 3, 2... One. Okay, George, how do you feel about Joel's death? Do you think it was earned? I think it was necessary for the story that was being told. Like, I think if he survived through most of the game or a decent section of the game, it would be less, like, impactful. Like, the story would make less sense um, in terms of, like, uh, motivation for Ellie. But, um, I mean, I don't think it, like went through in the smartest way i don't think that him being clubbed to death in a room where he was shown to be like pretty tactical in the original game didn't really make a lot of sense but um i think like for the motivation of the game it needed to happen 
I yeah, I think it happened too early. I like what they did where they had flashbacks of the time in between the first game and the second game littered throughout the game all the way up till the end of it basically. But they really this really feels like the third game to me. That's what I'm slowly realizing after beating it. I feel like they could have had an entire game's worth of story in between this and that would have served Joel's death a lot better because I like what we see throughout the game. I just think having it in chronological order would have made it a lot more impactful when he died. Right. It like retroactively makes that more of a impactful moment. Yeah. Right. But, but you don't get it like until, you know, hours down the line. Right. And I kind of, I get why he was softened up because he like found humanity at the end of the first game. And then they move in with Tommy and his wife. I think her name's like Marie or something at new jackson and they're there for a long time they're there for years it's a normal community he doesn't have to like live under this oppressive military regime like he did in boston where he was a smuggler and killed people all the time and stuff like that like it's obviously just a more low-key tone of life Mm -hmm. like the most dangerous thing they have to do is go out and clear uh infected and they're so far away that they're not even a threat they're using snipers to clear out like five or six at a time like it's obviously more low-key and they're basically living in a new society like that jacksonville town that they live in is basically like a normal small town as much as it can be in this environment him and tommy neither of them know who abby is when all of this happens like joel never saw her at the end of the first game so it's not like he would have been like huh this kid looks familiar even though she's jacked now (laughs) (laughs) she wasn't when her dad died but I, i don't know overall like I think it would have been stupid and um, like it would have broke the immersion a lot if Joel had literally nothing to answer to in terms of consequences for what he did in the first game. Yeah, I, I mean, he's he's obviously the villain of the first game. Like he prevents the world from having a cure because of his deep connection with his surrogate daughter. Right. But he, like, slaughters all these people that could have saved the world, basically. So, like, he is the villain, and he needs to answer for that. Um, it's just, like you were saying, the the moment doesn't really feel earned until, like, hours into the game when you get that backstory filled in. Exactly. And I think the story of revenge that this game tells isn't necessarily anything new. But the way it tells it is probably the best way it's ever been told. You know, because... Uh, halfway through the game you switch perspectives from ellie to abby so the game starts with abby killing joel you instinctively hate her obviously because you love joel after playing as him the entire first game you're on ellie's side for most of the first half while she's uh, making her way through downtown seattle trying to find abby and systematically picking off all of her friends you're like totally on board and then it flips time resets you play as abby you get all of her backstory with her dad being this like cool ass doctor. She's just like a normal kid. She's got friends. Then you get the backstory on her friends like Owen and Nora and all these people who you completely hated. And then you still hate the one that's pregnant because <laughs> for a lot of reasons that are totally valid and not just because she looks like a ghoul. <laughs> but you get to the point where you're like, oh, okay, I'm on these people's side sort of i can see why they see joel as someone who needs to die and you start to get mad at ellie like especially the farm we got to talk about the farm i thought that was the end of the game right and then it's not (laughs) 
Yeah. So, I mean, just, just to back up a little bit, I agree that the the way the story is told is kind of the, the biggest strength of the game. Like, being able to, like, empathize with both sides of the story, seeing these two very different ways of life, but a lot of the stories have, like, big, massive parallels between Abby's life and Ellie's life. Like, they have, you know, when Abby's a kid, her... Like, one of her best moments is when she goes to the um, museum with Joel, and they see all the dinosaurs, and they do the space lift-off thing. And one of the big defining moments in Abby's life is when, you know, her and Owen go to the aquarium, which is, like, kind of a similar setting. And they go, and they look at all this stuff and, and kind of explore in the same way. So it's it's a really interesting give-and-take of seeing kind of these two characters at the ex- exact opposite ends of each other that are rivals that have very similar paths throughout the game. Yeah, it's really also bizarre that if Ellie just let Tommy go (laughs) off on his own, he would have killed Abby and she would have not had to deal with any of it. I get why Ellie wanted to kill Abby so bad, but it got to a point like where it was like, just let it go. You killed all of her friends. You like completely ruined her life. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. And an ironic thing is that if Ellie just let it go when they got to the farm, Abby would have died, and so would have Lev. Yeah, and and Ellie, Ellie would have won because she would have you know her wife and kid, and would have been able to just live a peaceful life. But uh, she couldn't because you know she's having these night terrors, and it just her need for revenge was so strong that it ruined her life, and that's kind of her tragic story throughout the this whole game it was really cool that part where uh you have to go up the highway while tommy is sniping at you and you don't know it's tommy until the very end i kind of figured it out i was like oh he's really good at shooting and you do that flashback where you snipe as ellie and he teaches you how i'm like oh he's like an expert sniper it's it's obviously tommy yeah but it's like you're so pissed off at tommy that entire time and then you get to him and then he gets away and you're like fuck (laughs) i wish we got to kill him because that's like that's not revenge at that point because they don't know who's shooting at them the entire time and he straight up kills one of abby's best friends so like i i don't think that's that's the same type of revenge i think that would have been in defense if she actually killed tommy instead of pushing him off into the ocean yeah after she stabs him uh it it is crazy how willing this game is to kill off side characters like jesse getting killed by abby and then um lev's sister that was wild i wasn't expecting her to die because one of the main goals as abby is to go into a like massively infected hospital and fight your way through your former teammates who are realizing that you're sort of defecting a little bit you get all these uh, tools and supplies, these medical supplies to help out Lev's sister. Yeah. <laughs> she needs an amputation. And then she dies. She just fucking dies like two days later. And you're like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. All of that was kind of for nothing other than the fact that it caused Abby to become like a more human character. Right. I, I mean, the interesting part of Abby's story is like, in my point of view, she plays much more like the protagonist of the game. Like... All of her, like, her lesson that she learns along the way is, like, to be more humane, to see things from other people's perspective, uh, basically going from this hardened killer to somebody who, like, wouldn't just kill these scars because they're different from her, and, you know, kind of, like, learns a lesson, whereas Ellie's lesson the entire game is to seek revenge single-mindedly. Yeah, Ellie is not, they don't really make Ellie into much of a character in this game. 
she's pretty much the exact same as she was at the end of the first game just a little more mature because she's older but i didn't really like her i didn't really like her in the first game either like that much because I feel like she had like a massive chip on her shoulder the entire game and most of the first game, which I just replayed, it feels pretty unwarranted. Joel, I think could have treated her a little nicer from the beginning, but it's very clear at a point that Ellie like needs a father figure. And it sucks that having that father figure is completely ruined by Joel's decision at the end of the first game, because Ellie knows something's up. She never fully starts listening to Joel and then she just becomes this kind of like husk character whose only really goal is revenge. And you can get a little more out of her if you read her journal. But a lot of the conversations she has with Dina, her girlfriend, are just like being mean to her or making jokes. There's no real deep conversation between her and Dina. She brushes off Jesse every time he tries to talk about Dina being pregnant. And she really only has like one singular goal. So... Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I liked playing as her because the goal is so easy to get on board with, but I, it wasn't like playing as someone like Joel or even Nate in Uncharted. And Abby definitely felt like playing as either of those characters because she's an actual character and she's having a journey. And also she just, she's a really good surrogate for Joel. She controls the exact same way as Joel did in the first game. She has the same weapon set as him. She can use shivs and pipe bombs. I thought that was really sweet. And the fact that she just fucking straight arms infected <laughs> instead of using knives makes her infinitely cooler than you expect her to be. Like, that was such a smart move on their part. Yeah, I, I mean, the weird thing about the Ellie as a character is much like how a lot of Joel's backstory for the last few years is kind of segmented throughout parts of the game. We don't really get, like, a lot of the emotional beats for Ellie till the very end of the game. Like, when we see the events that uh, kind of unfolded the night before the game starts, that was, like, a, a big emotional moment for me. Like, that one hit me pretty good, but that doesn't happen until literally the very end of the game. And kind of seeing the results of her actions when she comes back to the farm after, you know, the conclusion and seeing everything gone. I mean, really, she doesn't see any consequences of her actions or learn anything or have, like, lessons or deep conversations until the very end of the game, whereas Abby has all that you know paced well throughout her story yeah if you took all of the levels that ellie gets to play and all levels abby gets to play i'm picking abby's nine times out of ten because it felt like an uncharted game but way more m-rated because you're like riding a horse through this burning village that was like super memorable you're going into this hospital you're going in the basement you fight one of the only real bosses in the game you fight as abby and then the other major boss is just this completely stacked disgusting german woman <laughs> which is like one of the best redemption fights happens later with her just overall there are so many big moments with abby that you just don't really get with ellie yeah and like you said they're delivered as cutscenes out of order which i didn't love and the whole reason she's upset at joel i get but it looked like to me she was a lot older than that cutscene you play or that flashback scene you play where you go to the hospital and joel finally tells her it it's it looks like she's a lot older that last night before joel dies than in that moment if she held that grudge for that long and never talked to him about it i like i'm putting the fault on her because what she needs to realize and i don't think she ever did realize maybe she does at the end 
is that Joel didn't take away her life's meaning. He gave her a life. Right. She didn't have a life before that. She was just like property. She was like seen as an object, you know? She was a MacGuffin. Right. And he gave her the opportunity to live a life. And I think she kind of does realize that and that she realizes the mistake she made. But after it's all gone, basically. Like, she realizes it when it's too late. Yeah, which sucks. And I feel, I definitely think that was intentional. And she is really well acted, especially when you consider that uh, the girl who plays her, what's her name, like, Ashley Johnson, she's our age or a little bit older than us. And she's, you, you just believe that Ellie is Ellie. You don't see an actor there. And the same thing goes goes for Joel with Troy Baker. You don't see Troy Baker at all. No, I mean, I, I would say that's the case for, like, most of the characters in this game. The, what they do with the animation, the storytelling, the acting is, like, a whole other level. It's, a, it's incredible when you see this game in motion, how much it feels, like, realistic. Let's talk about the graphics. We also haven't really talked about the actual gameplay, so we'll talk about that, too. The graphics in this game are insane this is one of the best looking games i've ever played and it runs pretty well it it stayed locked at 30 the entire time i played it there was a little bit of object pop in when you would get close to stuff i i don't really think it's fair to knock it for that because of how good it looks i just got used to ps4 exclusives kind of being messy you know like bloodborne was never updated for the ps4 pro right. uh what's that game days gone ran like shit when it came out and even after a ton of patches it still had pop in like major pop in and weird frame dips you know Mm -hmm. like sony wasn't as on top of things as they were last gen you know like with infamous uh uncharted the kill zone one two or kill zone two and three Mm -hmm. like all those games ran like butter and this was like a nice return to form because the last game was uncharted right you could tell that this game was like heavily sony was like we need this to be perfect when it comes out yeah and the gore is the best in any game ever made i think like using a shotgun on someone up close yeah. when you shoot them like those body parts come off that was in resident evil 2 this movie this game i said this movie this game took a lot from the newer resident evil remakes i will say like you could tell especially in abby's sections they were taking a lot of pages out of that book yeah i mean there's a <laughs> There's definitely a lot of Resident Evil style levels that you play as her. A lot of nighttime, you know, dark and stormy, kind of creepy, infected coming at you in waves. And the boss fights are, you know, kind of crazy and, and over the top, which is much like a Resident Evil or like a Metal Gear Solid game. Yeah, the the Rat King boss fight. I, I only know he's called that because uh, I went, there's a model viewer in the game. When you beat it, you can like look at, you unlock models throughout the game and the big one that's like a clicker with a bunch of other clickers like morphed onto it that guy's called the rat king <laughs> that boss fight was so cool. i thought that was, was just the name you gave him <laughs> you just called him no that's rat like his king. real name and i think that's such a cool name because like that's what the rat king is it's like a bunch of rats like all come together yeah. And they were like a hive mind. And so I thought that was sweet. That was one of the coolest boss fights. That was definitely a major highlight of the game. That fight was so cool. I mean, getting to use like the flamethrower on him, fire effects were amazing. And then like the one piece of him splits off and it's very tense. He can kill you in one hit. So you really have to be mobile and use all of your ammo and use all your resources to the best of your ability. That, that fight was amazing. Yeah, that was so, so cool. I loved all of that. The graphics just are unmatched and we play everything on pc which everything looks the best on pc for the most part this looks better than anything i played in a long time yeah so i'm really excited for 
Death Stranding and Horizon to be on PC because I really want to see what Decima can do. But whatever engine Naughty Dog uses is just like a whole different level. Like there are times when it looks photorealistic, the way these streets are lined up and just the way the buildings are and how much grass there is and how much foliage. It's ridiculous how amazing everything looks. I mean, the world itself is a really cool character in this game. Like seeing the completely torn up, you know, downtown Seattle areas and everything. I mean, it just looks like so cool to see something that's, you know, was once a bustling metropolitan area completely overrun by foliage and rushing water, waterfalls, huge collapsed bridges, abandoned buildings. I mean, the place is, it's total eye candy from the, from start to finish. And this is like the perfect, perfect mix of linear and open like where it's a very linear game, but the levels are so open and you really get more back for spending time in the world. Like being able to break windows and stuff and loot stores and unlock safes for permanent upgrades. Again, being taken straight out of Resident Evil's playbook. Yeah. Some of that you could argue Resident Evil got from uh, The Last of Us 1, but then you could even go farther back and say The Last of Us took that from like Resident Evil 4. Right, like even the oldest Resident Evil games had safes and things like that. So it's, you know, those come out in the 90s. So Yeah, I just, I loved exploring everything. It's crazy to me that people were able to beat this when you when you could first play it like Thursday night. People had to beat by Saturday. It's like, what did you miss? You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I really took my time with this. And even and I didn't even find all the safes, which I was pretty disappointed with. I thought I was pretty diligent with finding them. Um, yeah. But, I, I mean, that was, like, kind of a minor thing, but I thought those environmental puzzles were really cool, like, finding the safe combinations, Did- where there was, like, one of my favorite ones was uh, when you're playing as Abby, and you get into the hospital, and you find the safe in, like, the broom closet, and then you find a note way back in the kitchen that says that the safe combination is the same as the Wi-Fi code, so you have to search the floor, and you find the Wi-Fi code written on the wall, and then that's the code for the safe. Like, there's just a lot of cool environment stuff like that. Yeah, and I thought it was hilarious that they make you do one of the ladder puzzles that everyone hated in uh, oh, yeah. the first game <laughs> when you play as Abby, but it's actually cool, like, climbing over the boat and stuff. It's a little more, like, fleshed out. I thought that was so sweet. Also, the combat, it really... it's. It's weird because at its base level, it's identical to The Last of Us. Like, it's very similar combat. You're pretty much glued to the floor. You do have a jump button, but you're not, like, using it to play it much like Uncharted. You can do things where you jump from one level to the other and you get a cool little animation kill. But it's not as free-flowing as Uncharted is. It's very clunky, like, heavy combat. And I, I gotta say, like, the shooting is not amazing. Even having all the weapon upgrades... It's still like you'll get headshots where the bullet will just go down to their chest for no reason, which is really annoying. It's pretty tough to aim, but you were taking advantage of that uh, slow motion effect, right? So I had played the first couple hours with it, uh, with the slow-mo automatic when you aim, but then I switched it to the toggle. I mean, the toggle was really annoying to use because it's like swiping the D-pad was what would turn it on. It was like it was like the same thing as the uh, strumming the guitar. So I, I would basically just use it really sparingly after the first couple hours. Um, I mean, once I upgraded the weapons, it felt a little bit better, but definitely not the tightest shooting controls I've ever ever played. Once you beat the game, you can go back in and play chapters again, but it's super granular. Like you can play from checkpoints and you can also do from combat encounters. And so I've just been play, replaying combat encounters and I've gotten pretty good at the combat, but it it never really teaches you all the tools you have, which is pretty annoying because you can do jump kills. 
And like if you're sprinting and you hold circle, Abby or Ellie will both slide and you can aim and shoot like in Metal Gear. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, there's a ton of different combat stuff you, you can do that the game just never fills you in on. Um, but the guns are all pretty cool. I really liked using the bow as Ellie once I upgraded the draw time. And then Abby's rifle is so good. Just like the sound on it. And the weapon upgrading in this game is like gun porn. Yeah, I love that. Like watching them piece the guns together and stuff was so cool. Just like seeing how it all worked. Yeah. And it all kind of made sense. Like what she would do to increase fire rate. Ellie would like use a cloth to buff the gun. And you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really thought of, like, you know, actual cool visual weapon upgrades since, like, the original Bioshock, where there was actually, like, significant visual changes to the guns when you upgrade it, and this is the first game that I can think of since the original Bioshock that actually does that. The guns physically look significantly different as you upgrade them. Yeah, that's so funny because I, I just played Bioshock 2, which I, I talked about last week, so some of you might not have heard about that, but... Uh, that that really took me by surprise when I saw that the weapons were changing. I was like, oh yeah, like that's a thing in this. So like when you upgrade weapons, they change. That's so cool. And it really was cool to see it with uh, that rifle because I upgraded the shit out of that rifle that Abby has. And it looks like a completely different gun once it's fully upgraded, which is sweet because it's got the scope. It uses like black metal for the stock mm -hmm. it she completely changes the clip and everything i thought that was just so sweet how they did that and i loved her crossbow it felt like the evil within two yeah the crossbow was awesome she gets way cooler weapons than ellie also yeah the double barrel shotgun the uh hunting pistol is great because you can make ammo for it and it's a one-hit kill mm -hmm. so that thing is like completely broken um, straight out of uncharted yeah <laughs> uh i mean there's just the flamethrower is awesome. Like, all of her weapons are definitely better than Ellie's. I mean, other than when you upgrade Joel's revolver to with more damage, that thing is pretty powerful, and I use that a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, like, overall, Abby's weapon selection is a lot more fun to play with. Ellie's submachine gun is also great. That's Yeah, that's also really cool. It's like a silenced, just, like, death machine. <laughs> yeah. I have that gun, that exact gun, stun version, in Metal Gear Solid Five. I just unlocked it. And it is, like, comically overpowered because it's silenced. And it doesn't use sleep bullets. So you have to, like, get a few hits on a guy to knock him out. It's just shooting rubber bullets. <laughs> but I that's I really want to get the Platinum. And I've been having a lot of fun with that gun in the combat encounter stuff. And I want to do the New Game Plus. But the Santa Barbara part, we should talk about that because we... We're getting to it with the farm. I thought the farm was the end of the game. And then there's like a whole nother chapter where you go to Santa Barbara. Like that's not even that long of a part of the game. And they completely made a brand new location. <laughs> it's crazy. And it was one of my favorite parts of the game. Like I thought it was one of the coolest areas. One of the awesome changes that they make is the uh, gang you're fighting in Santa Barbara, the Rattlers, when they chain up all the zombies and kind of like torture them how you can sneak up and let them go and they go after them and it like causes all this chaos and they try to kill them like that was so cool oh i love that that was fucking awesome using molotovs on them was great did you ever use the concussion grenades or the trip mines no i never used either of those i crafted them for the trophies and then i used them once because i had them and never again <laughs> i never used those in uh the first game either you had smoke bombs i was like well i'm not gonna waste my explosives on this Right, like there's just better uses for it. 
that the resort that the rattlers are holed up in is so cool and it did you go back to the main menu after you beat the game um i mean i, I probably saw it come back where it changes to like the beach uh the santa barbara yeah beach instead of and you uh, can see the resort like on fire yeah. it looked like yeah it looked like far cry 3 like all, all those old advertisements for far cry mm-hmm. 3 i thought that was great um what do you think of the ending where ellie goes all the way there frees abby and lev did i say abby goes there ellie goes all the way there frees abby and lev is about to let them go because there's two boats and then she's like wait no and then there's that like ridiculously long fight scene. yeah the metal gear solid 4 ending where <laughs> yeah they have to fist fight each other <laughs> that was so funny i was like this is like metal gear solid 4 <laughs> i i think it's good that abby didn't die personally yeah i mean i agree i think that that was a really kind of one of the like character defining moments for ellie like of the few that we get in the game that was kind of like the moment where she realized that you know killing abby isn't going to bring joel back so that you know it, it's pointless she kind of is accepted and is moving on so i thought if she would have killed her i thought that would have been kind of a hollow moment like okay now what and at that point i liked uh abby more than ellie so i was like i hope I, I, at one point i was like i hope fucking abby kills her <laughs> like at that point i think abby is completely warranted to kill ellie and just move on because she let Ellie go, go because Dina was pregnant, which she did not have to do because Ellie killed her pregnant friend. And people are like, yeah, Ellie didn't know she was pregnant. But at that point, Abby doesn't know that. Right. Abby never finds out that Ellie didn't know that her friend was pregnant, you know? Right. So I think from the revenge standpoint, she's completely justified to kill Ellie in that moment or kill Dina in that moment. And she does it. She lets Ellie and Dina go. And Ellie makes the choice to go after her again. So at that point, I feel like Abby is in a position where she just fucking has to kill Ellie to be sure that she, Ellie will never come after her again, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can definitely see it from that point of view. It's like, come on, just fucking stop being such a dumbass, Ellie. <laughs> I was like mad at Ellie at, at that point. Especially because they make you play through the farm and they really drive home how good she has it now. Yeah. Like, she's completely moved past everything. And yeah, she has nightmares, but so does literally everyone else in this world because it's the fucking zombie apocalypse. Like, Dina's sister was murdered by uh, a gang or something, she says. She's not... She's able to move on from that, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, like, partially Tommy's fault. Right. Goading her at the very end of the game. I mean, he loses his wife and he's still you know, focusing on revenge, but I mean, he loses his eye and he's, you know, walks with a limp. So he's, you know, physically different after the events of the the story. Yeah. And he, he's in like an asshole now. So from that standpoint, it's like, I personally just think Abby's, I just like Abby's story more. Honestly, I, I almost, I actually like Abby more than Ellie as well. And people were saying like, how could you like a character that would kill a pregnant woman yeah. knowingly? It's like, ah, I don't know. Like they all did bad shit in this in this Last of Us world. How could you like Joel for murdering a bunch of doctors? He didn't necessarily have to kill them, you know. Right. I mean, the guy had a pointed just... a scalpel at him. It's not like he was, <laughs> you know, at deadly force or anything. Yeah, to shoot his hand off. But uh, before we wrap up here, George, I asked yesterday if people who played the game had any opinions on it that we could read on the show. So I figured we should read those. So AJ says he's about 10 hours in and he's loving it. He says it feels like a refined version of the first. No complaints. He loves fighting the hunters because it feels like you're fighting yourself. 
I think he's talking about the scars. Yeah. And I agree. That was a really awesome segment for me. That was one of the first, like, kind of big jaw-dropping moments where you're in the forest and they're, like, firing arrows at you and you're not sure where it's all coming from. A lot of cool encounters with them that I, I had a really good time playing through. Yeah, and it's cool because The Last of Us universe is pretty far in the future after the apocalypse. Like, Ellie was completely born after when a new government was set up. So the scars are able to be this cult that does not interact with the old world in pretty much any way. So it, it makes thematic sense that they're able to like whistle and stuff like that and really pick you off. Right, they've developed like their own own communication style and everything like that. Yeah. Um, someone asked the name of our podcast and I told them uh, her name's Brea Organa on Twitter. So I'm going to say that that's not her actual name, but thank you. <laughs> Angel, at Silent Angel, says, Just finished it. Wasn't feeling Abby parts of the game just because I wanted to still follow Ellie. Might have liked it more if that part was shorter. Had a lot of cool parts, though. The ending, I was liking until we got back to the farm. I'd go 9 out of 10 if I have to. That's funny because that reads like a 7 out of 10 right. <laughs> review. But then you're like, no, I loved it. Uh, do you think the game's too long? No, I, I don't think so. I think it's very well I was paced. bouncing back and forth on it. I was like, eh, is it? I know, like... It could be argued. I think it could be argued that it's too long, but I would disagree. Yeah, I mean, I never really felt like any parts of it were dragging to me. Like I thought it was pretty well paced all the way through. I wouldn't want it to be any longer than it is, but I think um, it it justifies its length. Yeah, I would like some. I, I don't know. I would like some of Ellie's stuff to be cut down in favor of her level in Santa Barbara being longer. I feel like we could have had more of that and it would have been awesome because they went through all that trouble to make that environment, you know? Yeah, and I mean, maybe we'll see that in future DLCs or something. We could see... Yeah, they, they need to do a DLC. Yeah. They need to do something. This can't be the end. You make a second game, you can't leave it at two. You got to make a third game. That's just how I <laughs> But Simon says... That's funny. Simon says, one of the best endings in gaming. Somber for sure... No, I fucked it up. Somber for some, hopeful for me. I'd like to think she's going for stars. It's a swear word. I don't know what swear <laughs> word, though. I'm happy you know who didn't die, but at the same time, I don't love her. Uh, he's talking about Abby there. She was legitimately happy to kill a pregnant woman. <laughs> we already addressed that. I loved Ellie more than I ever have. The blind rage is understandable, especially with how dumb and irresponsible it can make you. I understood why she couldn't let it go, and I felt it when she finally did. I even felt for Abby at the end when you see her beaten down, worn out. That We, we, we agreed on most of this. We already addressed it, I think. But um, I think Abby's blind or Ellie's blind rage is understandable to a point. I don't think it's understandable once she gets to the farm. I feel like at that point... It's like, calm down, you know? Um, this guy says his at is Nestle Guest. He says, Abby just slipped on the bridge and I almost shit myself. <laughs> That's how immersive this game is. That was the scariest part of the entire game. When Abby and Lev are walking on this like rope and wood bridge. Oh, yeah. The the giant like scaffolding across the the two skyscrapers i was like my palms are so sweaty i hate heights i'm like really afraid of heights that really messed with me it was terrifying too photorealistic I hated every second of that 
yeah and she slips yeah. at a point and i'm like oh no i fucked up but it's like no it's part of the story oh man that was terrifying that that was one of the high points of the game that's really where i started that's after i started turning around on abby but that's the point where i was like i'm all in on abby lev is also awesome lev is like the unsung hero of this game for me and then uh unknown says loved every minute of it on new game plus now for the platinum but man this has to be one of the best stories i've ever experienced in gaming the characters were great the game going out of its way to make you hate abby then by the end you're almost rooting for her crazy with two hearts yeah uh i i think that's how uh you feel particularly yeah i mean i i really liked it i would definitely recommend anybody who uh, is interested in it and didn't read any of the leaks. Like, if the leaks turned you off to the game, d- don't play it, but also don't talk about it because you haven't played the game. Um, but I think it's definitely worthwhile to play through. I said that anyone who hasn't played the game doesn't really get an opinion on it, and that's rubbing people the wrong way. And a lot of people are saying, you know Let's Plays exist, right? And it's like, you did not watch a 25-hour <laughs> Let's Play. I just know for a fact you didn't. And... The other side of that coin is being forced to actually play as Abby makes you appreciate her standpoint more because even though you don't really want to play as her at first, you get more of her story when you're forced to, you know, like it's a bold choice. Right. You see her entire backstory. You understand her motivations a lot better and, you know, playing as her actually gives you a feel for, you know. And some people are saying that they think it should have been a movie I completely disagree because the story that's being told here would not be delivered nearly as effectively if it was a movie because it would be an hour and a half long, maybe two hours. And the combat encounters in this game are some of the best Naughty Dog's ever done. I think Uncharted 4 as a whole has a lot more like fun combat because you can play around with it so much. And it's, it's like slightly immersion breaking because it's a little unrealistic. But this game's combat is so brutal and raw and grounded that when you are good at it, it feels awesome. Yeah. Like when you finally learn how to use all the tools effectively, like how Ellie is in that boss fight you have with her as Abby, where Abby yeah, has that no was guns awesome. or anything in the movie theater. And Ellie has all of the tools and she uses all of the tools. It's like, Oh yeah. Like switching, actually switching between weapons and using the environment and everything. Just like really interesting to see like how a fully equipped character deals with someone. who Yes. Isn't. It's so cool. And I think, that this could be transitioned to a TV show, maybe, but yeah, I mean, maybe an HBO miniseries, like a which they are doing, but that's going to be an adaptation of the first game for starters. It's Neil Druckmann's writing it, and the guy who made Chernobyl is, um, I guess directing it or producing it, so that'll be good. But you need a lot of time in a show to make it feel as good as this, and the only show that's attempted to do it, people bitch and moan about constantly. It's The Walking Dead. I mean, also, the game feels so good to play that I don't know why you would deprive yourself of that <laughs> just to see the story. Like, the story is very good and the reason to keep playing, but the gameplay is something that you don't really want to miss out on. Right, and they've teased this. I really hope that the factions mode comes back sooner rather than later. Like, we know a multiplayer... Yeah, that was a really cool, interesting multiplayer mode in the first game. Yeah, friend of the show, Craig, me and him used to play it all the time. Between when our we lived together in college uh that was around the time the remaster came out and whoever was home would play factions uh because it's like a story kind of where 
by winning or losing, you get supplies for your little faction. And you can completely lose this, the multiplayer story and have to start over. Yeah, that was a <laughs> that was a really hard. Uh, it was hard to like get to the top level of that because the game like the g- games were tough. It was hard to like progress in that. Yeah, and I, I'm really excited to be able to play that eventually with the combat upgrades. Yeah, totally. With like different weapons and how much better the combat plays in this than the first one. Yeah. So overall. I would give The Last of Us Part 2 a 10 out of 10, 5 out of 5. What would you give yeah, it? Yeah, I'd agree. I think it's a masterpiece. I mean, I, I don't games like this don't come around very often, and you, you're depriving yourself uh, if you're not playing it. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. And again, I checked. The episode from last week is now up on Spotify. So I apologize to everyone who didn't get to listen to it last week, but now you've got two really solid episodes to listen to. So... I don't think you have much to complain about there. Right. You have anything else you want to say about The Last of Us? No. Um, I'm just glad it exists. I'm happy to play it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Catch you in the next one. Bye. Bye.